This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we talk to Steve Baker. He's from The Blaze, and he's going to be apparently arrested tomorrow. He's turning himself in to authorities because of his dastardly actions on January 6th, which are all on video, apparently, and don't show him doing much of anything other than reporting, reporting, which is what he is, a reporter. Uh, An incredible turn in this country. We have David Harsani on about the accusations from the media that anyone who is a Christian is automatically a Christian nationalist. We'll get into that. And we will talk about, we had a, I would say, a passionate discussion about the pros and cons of Captain Crunch. (laughs) You know, look, it's a controversial thing, and I know a lot of people don't want to don't don't feel like they can handle a discussion yeah. like that. But if, we... if the roof of your mouth can <laughs> handle Captain Crunch, you're a better man than me. You're a better man than me. It's it's a passionate discussion, and I think will lead to uh, a lot of controversy across the country. Yeah, well, we'll get into that. It's all in today's podcast. First, to shoot or not to shoot. Believe it or not, in a lot of emergency situations where you need to protect yourself or your family, that is the question. Not everything is cut and dry, and if you are only armed with a gun, you you have a limited number of choices. Am I going to shoot and possibly kill this person or not? And the worst thing you can do is try to stop your attacker by shooting them in the foot. I have the burn a launcher in my house. My wife and my adult children have it as well. It's a great complement to my firearms. There are situations where less than lethal is the way to go, and Berna is the best alternative to deadly force, better than, you know, pepper spray or tasers or anything like this. It fires powerful deterrents like tear gas and kinetic rounds. So you, boom, you fire this thing, and it throws a kinetic round up to 60 yards, I think it's 60 yards, 60 feet. And, I mean, it will hit them hard. Then, if they keep moving, you hit the second one, and I have it as tear gas. Not fooling around. I want that person incapacitated for at least 40 minutes until the police can come. You can find out all about these. Made here in America. They are fantastic. Burna, B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Glenn. That's Burna dot com slash Glenn. Get an exclusive 10% discount now. Burna dot com slash Glenn. The best of the Glenn Beck program. So I don't want to talk insider radio kind of stuff, but this is very important for you to understand. The power of your local stations, uh, it is, it's absolutely critical. Um, and a lot of damage has been done by these giant corporations owning everybody. There's no real mom and pops left anymore. Um, and I think personally that's a problem. Uh, however... The largest radio corporation is the one that I have worked for, worked for and with now since 1989. Was Clear Channel. It's now iHeart Radio, um, and it's the largest broadcaster in America. the The second largest. What do they rename it? 
who it it Odyssey? Yeah, Odyssey. Is it Odyssey? Yeah, it's Odyssey, I think. Right? Odyssey's one of them. I just don't know which one you're talking yeah, about. The the J Core, the old J Core. Yeah. Right, anyway. They've changed so many yeah, times. They've changed now, so many yeah. times we don't even um but that one just was purchased by the Soros group. Okay. Second largest. Um and then the third largest looks like it may go to a Singapore group. So not even owned by America. Really not a good thing. Brendan Carr is the FCC commissioner who I, I just am a big fan of because he actually will speak out on behalf of the American people and freedom of speech. He issued a warning a couple of a uh, couple of days ago. The FCC just ordered every broadcaster to start posting a race and gender scorecard that breaks down the demographics of their workforce. Act- activists lobbied for this because they want to see businesses pressured into hiring people based on their race and gender. Uh, we welcome Brendan Carr to the program now. Hi, Brendan. So good to be back with you. Thanks for having me on. So what does this mean for the average radio station and radio group? What does this mean? Yeah, this is a pretty wild decision by the FCC, and you're right that it has to do with broadcasters, but it's also part of a more broad effort to sort of compel businesses at large, even outside the broadcaster context, to hire or not hire people uh, based on their race and gender. And so the FCC tried to do this many, many years ago, in fact, twice before the FCC has sought to pressure broadcasters into hiring people based on race and gender in violation of the equal protection components of the Constitution. And the courts have struck the FCC down twice. But now here the FCC goes again for a third time. As you noted, it's going to require every single broadcaster to publicly disclose a race and gender scorecard that lists every employee across these demographics lines. And the FCC's record was very clear. The one reason why activist groups and others wanted the FCC to do this is because they want to launch public pressure campaigns targeting individual stations if they don't have what the activists view as some proper uh, balance or the right number of some unspecified amount of race and and ethnicity uh, employees. And so it's deeply, deeply concerning. So what is terrifying to me is the arrogance of so many people on the left the the this whole woke thing is completely falling apart it's falling apart like in ways yeah. i never expected i don't know if anybody saw the opening monologue of saturday night live uh this last weekend and the answer should be for most people no um but it was actually funny because it broke rules the woke rules um this is coming apart and yet they're still going down this direction is is this a done deal? Is this going to go to the Supreme Court a, another time? Has anybody filed against it? Yeah, what's funny to me about all this, as you know, is the government is usually a little bit slow. It's a little bit behind trends. The government's yeah. not the, you know, the fastest moving entity. And so when in sort of the real world, you see the tide turning slowly against these sort of radical versions of DEI, that's the precise moment when the FCC decides to jump in and double down on that type of approach. I do hope it's appealed. There are a number of entities that have appealed this before in one. Um, and so I'm hopeful that some groups of broadcasters or otherwise will take this to court. But it's also part and parcel of a broader trend we're seeing with you know free speech in the country where the government is outsourcing 
censorship to uh, third parties, whether it's, you know, Facebook and Google. And this is the same type of pattern as well. We are trying to sort of co-opt these activist organizations to force people into hiring based on, you know, race and gender. And the Constitution and the constitutional law is very clear. The government can't do indirectly that which it is prohibited from doing directly. So I do hope that somebody uh, takes this up and goes to court because it is part of these, you know, very broadly speaking, concerning trends. So last time you were on with me, I think was back in November, and we talked about how the Biden administration wants to control the internet in the name of equity. Um, I've seen the FCC uh, lean one direction or another uh, on trying to um, silence people. You know, they always try to use the FCC to go after uh, Rush Limbaugh, and it's always failed. Then it got very quiet. We didn't have any attacks, boycotts, and et cetera, et cetera, for a while now since uh, Rush Limbaugh died. Um, but I can't believe they've just turned their eyes away from the freedom that we have on regulated airwaves. How How is this developing? How do you feel about the future of free speech on radio? Yeah, I think you're right to notice this broader trend. I mean, when I was growing up in high school uh, in the 1990s, you're right. There was sort of a surge of FCC activity there, whether it was, you know, censorship or political censorship. In fact, I remember uh, very famously when I was in high school, Eminem, the FCC won't let me be. And for a little while there, uh, the FCC sort of turned a corner, as you noted, in sort of the the mid 2000s and for a while stayed out of this type of political Uh, censorship type of activity. And it is concerning as to where things are going now. As you pointed out, the Biden administration is engaged in a lot of regulatory actions um, that are ultimately about increasing government control and then down the road, uh, increasing of censorship. And what's clear in this country as a cultural matter is we have to return to an embrace of free speech for for a lot of reasons. But one is the, the soapbox is directly connected to the ballot box. And what I mean by that is once people start not trusting Americans with uh, the freedom to speak their minds on the soapbox, they very naturally go into, well, I also don't trust you to make your own decisions at the ballot box. And I think in some ways we're, we're starting to see that. And, and again, sort of switching back to this you know, FCC order on race and gender scorecards, the FCC claimed it wasn't doing it to pressure people. In fact, one of the lead justifications they gave for publicly disclosing this is that it said they wanted the public to be able to have the data so that they could verify the accuracy of these disclosures by broadcasters, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. What what exactly does the federal government want the public to do to verify the race and gender uh, of employees? How exactly are they going to verify that, particularly when the FCC is adding newly um, a category of gender non-binary, but whatever that mechanism is that the FCC wants the public to verify the race and gender of uh, broadcasters. I'm, I'm not sure we should be encouraging that type of conduct. Um, so the, um, I, I think this is a, a continuing trend of the story that came out today um, where the, the president directed all agencies to work on a plan to register more voters, which is not the job of the State Department or the FCC or anybody else. Um, and there was a lawsuit um, to by the Government Accountability Office uh, to be able to uh, see those plans. The DOJ has just rejected 
um, offering those plans and turning those plans over in this uh, court case because they say it will be confusing for the American public. Who do they think they are? And who do they think we are that we'd be confused by evidence of, of whatever it is you're doing, good or bad? Yeah, you know, it's, it's concerning this sort of paternalistic approach of not trusting the American people. I mean, that's the, the fundamental component of democracy is that we have to, to trust people. And, you know, the other sort of interesting development of the last couple of days or so, you know, I'm sure you've been tracking, was this Google um, AI that has been sort of widely criticized for yeah. being biased. And I think there's actually something that we should give Google credit for with this in terms of a contribution to public discourse. And that is that it has laid bare for the American people to see in the clearest terms yet the bias and sort of partisan ideology that has been embedded in so much of the products coming out of Silicon Valley. And for years, people said, well, there's no um, conservative bias in Silicon Valley. And these Google AI chatbots uh, really make that clear. In fact, I, last weekend I went on it and I asked it to write uh, an op-ed against President Biden's signature uh, effort to control the Internet, known as net neutrality, um, and it said it couldn't do that. And I asked it to write one in support of that exact same policy, net neutrality, and it wrote a very long, flourishing one about it. And so as things move more into this space of artificial intelligence and AI, it's deeply concerning um, the, 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 the really serious partisan bias that clearly has been embedded in these algorithms. And Google came out and said, well, mea culpa, it was a mistake. It actually was not a mistake. In fact, again, hats off to them. They have an ideology and they found a way to code it deeply into these algorithms in an effective way. But we need to sort of step back and make sure that we don't have these biases embedded as these technologies start moving forward. Yeah, I tell you, the, the only mistake they made was that they were discovered. It wasn't subtle enough. You know, they, yeah, right. they're very exactly. into changing people's minds without their fingerprints on anything. Um, Brendan, thank you so much. I appreciate everything that uh, uh, that you do and you're warning us about. I'm I'm uh, extraordinarily concerned about um, yeah. my job and uh, the the jobs of those people who do disagree with the government. For the first time in my life, I think I'm I may lose my job at one point or lose my ability to speak out. That's never happened to me before. And uh, I appreciate the warning signs. Yeah, well, thanks so much for, for having me on. I think these are really important issues to track. Again, each one individually looks like it could be a one-off, whether it's these digital equity rules for the Internet or the government working with Silicon Valley to censor Americans' political speech or these race and gender scorecards. But you have to put them all together because they're not pinpricks. It's a mosaic. Yes. And at the end of the day, it's about more and more government control. And, you know, the government is colluding with these large technology companies to to carry out an effort to put more controls on more speech than we've ever seen in our history. And I think the good news is things are turning slightly. I think, you know, the the, the maximum effort of censorship happened during COVID, whenever there's, you know, government control, as yes. COVID was sort of by, by definition, um, you increase in censorship. Um, and I think it's receding, but it's also, it's kind of downstream from this extreme version of identity politics, because once you divide the world into oppressors and oppressed, then it's very easy to take all the rights away, including free speech rights uh, of the oppressor group, 
and there's no sort of free exchange of information and free debate. But but we got to get back to that as a cultural matter. I will tell you, thank you very much. I, I will tell you tomorrow I'm going to be talking about what's happening in Canada. Um, Trudeau has just introduced a bill uh, that is going through Parliament now that will make hate speech life in prison. You're engaged in hate speech. You could get life in prison in Canada. You want to talk about bone chilling. Uh, they are way down this road, and we've got to turn around. Brendan Carr, FCC Commissioner, thank you so much. Back to the podcast in a second. First, drug shortages hit a new record high last year. Right now, there are still hundreds of vital medications that aren't available. They should be. It's America. That's including something as basic as and life-saving as amoxicillin. Medication shortages um, are going to happen. You can't introduce 10 million people into your country and give them access to the health care system when the health care was built for um, a country that was 10 million smaller in population. When you have the things of unrest all around the world and we get all of our medicine from someplace else in the world, it's going to happen. Take this problem head on and into your own hands with the Jace case by Jace Medical. It's a pack of different antibiotics that you can use to treat a host of bacterial illnesses uh, in an emergency. And you can have all of the medicine that you have to take for your family, a year's supply in your home. Get the Jace case and so much more at jacemedical.com, promo code BECK. Now back to the podcast. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the Glenn Beck Program and uh, say hello to our good friend, David Harsani. He is the uh, Federalist Senior Writer and National Review Columnist. Uh, he has just written a column for the Federalist that says, we're all just Christian nationalists now, are we all? If this is Christian nationalism, count me in. Um, as, I have, uh, as I have said on this program, do not take this charge lightly, and I don't think uh, David does, um, but don't call yourself a Christian nationalist. It does have meaning, and I'll show you on tomorrow's show why they are saying it, and this is coming from the government. Why are they doing this? Um, I'll show you. It's going to have great ramifications, but David made such a great case about this. I wanted to have him on. Hi, David. Hi there. Thanks for having me. You bet. So, Count me in. We're all Christian nationalists. Why do you say that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I should say that the way that these people I'm writing about on MSNBC describe Christian nationalism yes. is not really a thing. It's, uh, it's just what the Declaration of Independence says, and it's the core <laughs> idea of America. If you think that your rights come from the state, then you don't understand the United States. You don't understand the founding. And actually, the founding can't really work for you. And I, I think that they're actually being honest as well. I mean, I do think they believe rights come from the state and that this way they can get rid of rights they don't like, add new ones whenever they feel like it. And that, that's a huge problem. Yeah, that, that's the Soviet Union. <laughs> right? You know, all every, the... Every autocracy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, explain nature's God and nature's law. 
Well, you know how people always say they're spiritual but not religious? Yeah. I'm, I guess I'm the opposite. I'm, I'm not really spiritual, but I'm definitely religious because I think religion offers incredibly uh, important ideas about the world that were, you know, even if you believe in God, you also probably, probably believe that they evolved into religion because they're the right things. I do believe that. So um, for me, it is clear that, that man has innate rights. I'm not sure why or where they come from, but in my heart, I know it and rationally, I know it. So the right to speak your mind, the right to practice your faith, the right to own property, all the things that are basically enshrined in the Constitution those basic rights, which are negative rights, meaning like I'm not asking someone to do anything for me. These are just things I'm born with, I think are vital to to living a free and prosperous life. And um, a constitution's not perfect or anything like that, but it's as close as I think humans have gotten. So if you don't believe in God, you should act like you do when you talk about the law. Yeah, Does that well, make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, the, uh, the idea that you're born uh, with with rights given to you by your family's position or the mm-hmm. state, they can take those rights away at any time. And we all know, wait, I, I'm an individual. This is, this is why this always happens in times of collectivism, um, because it's the group over the individual, where America was always about the individual, help the individual live a great life, you know, um, allow them to be able to uh, celebrate God in their own way, which would be their governor, their their regulator, if you will, on their passions, uh, and let everybody just do their thing, and you'll be amazed at what happens. We've yeah, always people, known in America that's true. Yeah. I, I think people hear the word individual, and they they it computes as selfish or something like that, but it's not. I mean, the difference is an individual can go to their church, give charity to whoever they want. The collective decides who you give charity to and maybe who, where you go to church. And that is the difference. Individualism doesn't mean that you can't become part of a community and do things communally, but it does mean that, the, that you're not treated individually. I mean, for instance, democracy, everyone keeps talking about it and they never really define it, but I don't really care about democracy when it comes to rights, because I don't care that three people can tell me what to do. That's not how it works. And that's what I think, you know, just to clarify what individualism, I think, means to the person who believes in natural rights. David, have you noticed that every time the left accuses the right of something, they're doing it? (laughs) Projection, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's incredibly consistent. Um, I think we have a new national religion now in America, with high priests and, you know, a confessional and everything. It's like the issue of abortion, which I think, you know, the key natural right is your right to life, right? But uh, when the Supreme Court, you know, they were yelling about democracy forever, democracy this, that, and when the Supreme Court's like, okay, you can vote on this now, then they're like, that is, you know, you're attacking democracy now. Right, right. To them... (laughs) It's 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 so malleable. It could be anything. It could be anything they believe right now. It has no. I, I often try to ask them to define what it means, but they don't really. I mean, the left doesn't really debate anymore. They just, uh, you know, they call you some whatever name they're calling you now. Today, it's Christian nationalist, you know, and, and that's what you are. So they don't really debate it or or define their terms, etc. So let me uh, change subjects here real quickly. Stu and I were talking about. 
um, Donald Trump having probably a very good week uh, for him with you know the decision with uh, the Supreme Court yesterday, and and also what's happening with Fannie uh, Willis or Fannie Willis. What are your take on those two cases? I this is my broader view of the whole thing is that that Donald Trump's biggest uh, strength or one of his biggest strengths is that his enemies are just the worst people usually. (laughs) (laughs) I have the worst enemies. Trust me, you've never seen enemies like this before. Nobody has. (laughs) I mean, from the start, you know, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of the guy, truthfully, but but the people who hate him are worse than he is. So to save democracy, they're worse than he is to, you know, to, to take him off ballots, the people who are supposedly upholding constitution and democracy and all that, you know, are worse than he is. Um, as the things I don't like about him, let's say how he talks about government or maybe that he's a little bit not conservative enough for me, frankly, you know, I think one of the big secrets about Donald Trump is he's actually quite moderate on a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. Or, or I would say normal, like, you know, when it comes to gender or borders or things yeah. like that, um, is that his his enemies are the worst people. And a lot of people under, because of the hysteria about Donald Trump, a lot of bad people, a lot of people want to make their names, have gotten in, in with the mob going after him. And because of the hatred for him, a lot of on, people on the left just let, you know, praise all these people before actually maybe <laughs> vetting them a bit. So yeah, I think it's a good it was a good week for Donald Trump. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the Fanny? What do you, what do you think is going to happen with the Fanny Willis case? I don't know. I don't know how you can move forward knowing all we know right now, right? But I don't know. I, you know, here's my thing. So in New York, you have a case where you have a New York jury and or a New York judge even, or or you have a DC jury or DC judge. Right. Another case, they they're gonna. They're going to convict Donald Trump. They're going to find him guilty. They're going to ask him to hand over 500 million bucks because they hate him. And I don't think those are fair trials. I don't know how it's going to go in Georgia is, I guess, my answer. So you think there's a chance she keeps her job? (laughs) In any normal environment, that would not be the case. But I'm not sure. Wow. I don't. What do you guys think? No. Right. I I mean, I, I don't think she. I mean, how does the governor not call for if the judge doesn't uh turn on her and say these are clear lies you perjured yourself she should lose her license she should uh pay a big fine and possibly because they did it with such zeal uh go to jail i mean i i don't think i've ever seen a more clear-cut case uh on perjury because she did it with zeal uh, where I've seen people perjure themselves, Anthony Fauci, but he's not necessarily going, well, actually, he, <laughs> he did too. Um, but she just went in passionately. Her attorneys even tried to stop her. Uh, so I can't imagine why that wouldn't happen. But then again, you also have a governor who is a conservative governor. Why wouldn't he open... I mean, if he's a rule of like, law guy, he should open a, a special investigation if nothing happens. It does seem like there are some developments in, in that world as well as like, again, this judge was appointed by a Republican and, you know, I, I believe was in the Federalist Society at some point. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, 
it's this is not a DC jury we're talking about here. This this should mm-hmm. this sh- there should be some rational thought brought into this situation. I, but again, I think <laughs> the pessimism usually wins. That's that's the end of the story. I just feel like everything's falling apart and lawless. So I don't, you know, I'm scared to say what I think is going to happen. I just want more, more Fannie Willis on the stand. Oh, my yes. God. I mean, it's a- it was so fun to watch, wasn't it? I mean, you yeah. know, it, I felt a little like an arsonist, except I didn't start the fire, but I was, <laughs> I was just watching like, that is beautiful. <laughs> it's like that. It's like that meme of girl watch smiling, watching the house burn down. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much, uh, David. I appreciate it. From the from Federalist, David Harsani. This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. This should uh, speak volumes to you. There's a new poll out. It shows that the border is the number one problem. Now, you would think the economy would be number two, taking a poll of average Americans. You know what number two is? Something I don't think I've ever seen before in a poll. Government. Number one is the border. Number two is government. I don't even know what that entails. I know what that means to me. Uh, and number three is the economy. And government is a problem. They are interfering everywhere. And uh, now we have Steve Baker, our investigative journalist with the uh, Blaze Media. He has been covering January 6th and doing research on this since January 6th. Uh, He's been working as a journalist on this. The FBI has issued a uh, warrant for him to turn himself in tomorrow. We don't know what the charges are. No idea. Steve been praying for you this week. Uh, I know s- many members of the audience are doing the same. This is crazy what's about to happen to you tomorrow. Yeah, I've always been more worried about my unpaid parking tickets from college. You yeah, know? yeah. You are a, you're a nice, gentle, regular guy. And do you even know what the charges are? No, they haven't told us yet. Uh, back- is that usual? Uh, no, back uh, two and a half years ago when they initially uh, threatened me uh, and said that I would be arrested within the week in November of 21, they actually told my attorney at the time what the charges were going to be then. But because I'm a little outspoken and vocal about what's happening with me, uh, we were we were told at the time by an assistant U.S. attorney that a judge would not be happy with me you know, going out to the press in the manner that I've done. So I just intensified that and accelerated that and 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 lit that candle brighter uh yeah i know i see the look on your face i see the look on your face what right is it for them to say we're coming after you and then when you say hey by the way everybody they're saying they're coming after me they haven't said why they're coming after me this is all i've done why would why would you be in trouble for defending yourself in the public square because once they arrest you well, now you've been arrested by the FBI. It's a really bad thing, even if you're innocent. Well, two years ago, the U.S. attorney said to my my attorney that a judge will not look favorably upon this. 
To which my attorney responded, are you saying that my client should forego his First Amendment right under the threat of persecution from the federal government? And she said, oh, no, we're not really saying that. We just, you know, just, oh. it's just we're concerned that, you know, for him oh, and his status. Oh, concerned I, no, I, for you. I, I, I kid you not. Now, fast forward two years under the current threat, and they won't tell me the charges this time, literally, quote unquote, from the U.S. attorney, because he'll tweet it out. Well, what? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah. Technically, the charges are under seal until you're actually arrested. So they are technically not right. in violation of any law. Right. But so tomorrow morning at seven o'clock when I arrive at the FBI field office here in Dallas, I will learn what my charges are. And what is it that you are supposed to dress how are they? What what did they advice did they give you on that? They notified my attorney that I needed to arrive in shorts, a t shirt, and flip flops. And why is that? It's easier to change into the orange jumpsuit and leg chains. <laughs> and 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 um, is that something that? Everybody does. Do they when they bust down somebody's door? Do they say, "Hey, change into a t-shirt and some flip flops"? <laughs> I don't think that when they bust in your door, you get a you yeah. get that opportunity when they, or that choice. When they invite people to turn themselves in, I, I've never seen people turn themselves in. You know, this is exactly what they did to the independent journalist Stephen Horn from Raleigh, North Carolina, coincidentally where I live. And when they arrested him. And they brought him in. They did exactly the same thing. They put him in an orange jumpsuit, put leg chains on him, and made him march before the magistrate in leg chains on misdemeanor offenses. It's one of the interesting parts here because you don't know, as you point out, what you're being charged with. But you do know that they are misdemeanors, right? That is what they have told my attorney. So uh, why on earth would you need to be in leg chains and I mean, we, we, we have prosecutors all over the country that won't charge people who've like sexually assaulted individuals with crimes and they won't hold them and they release the next day and they're going to put you in leg chains for misdemeanors. Well, let's, let's start with the bigger question and we'll work our way to that specific uh, answer it is this is the first time in history since January 6th that the FBI is even involving themselves in misdemeanor offenses and with misdemeanor defendants. And swatting misdemeanor defendants with sometimes 15, 20, 25 agents swatting misdemeanor. No, they, the FBI has never done that in their history until ordered to do so by Merrick Garland's DOJ mm. after January 6th. So fast forward to this. Why are they doing that? Why are they requiring me? My, my attorney told me when he told me that this was what they were going to have me, uh, you know, requesting that I r arrive dressed in flip-flops and shorts. Uh, I said, why are they doing this to me? He said, you know why. He said, you've been poking them in the eye for three years. This is retribution. This is mm. evil. It's just evil. When, when you have a government, I mean, I don't know if you saw the story today from California, but there was a judge in California said, you can't arrest just people on the right when Antifa was there and they were being violent, beating up these people, mm -hmm. you arrest the people they were beating up and you don't arrest Antifa. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, when a, when a, when a United States 
government can come after individuals. And, you know, we've been saying this from the beginning. If they'll do this to Trump, you don't think they'll do it to you? Well, the selective prosecution is exactly what's happening right here. We have uh, over 60, we have documented over 60 journalists that entered through those doors or broken windows that day. The fifth person through the broken window that day was a New York Times reporter. Uh, the New Yorker reporter, Luke Mogelson, went through the broken window, and he paralleled another independent photojournalist. They they went through the same window, paralleled. The other journalist, he had spent uh, a lot of time working on the uh, Latinos for Trump uh, campaign. Well, even though he didn't parade, he didn't um, do any protesting, he did no chanting, anything of the sort, and was contracted at the time as a video photojournalist for a TV station in Mobile, Alabama. Even though that was the groundwork laid, four misdemeanors swatted by over 20 agents at his home with red dots on his wife, his children, and of course, obviously himself at 6.30 in the morning. And then he was convicted. He said, I'm going to go to trial on this. He said, Luke Mogelson from the New Yorker, we went through the same window at the same time and he hasn't been charged. I'm going to go stand before a judge. He did a bench trial. He was convicted on all four misdemeanors. And because he went to trial and he wasted the government's time and resources and not taking the plea deal that he was offered, uh, the, the judge put him in prison for eight months, sentenced him to eight months. They put him in a medium security facility in uh, um, uh, Georgia, where after spending the first two months in solitary confinement, and gets out into the general population, he learns from all the other prisoners that they never put misdemeanor defendants in that prison. All of the other guys were, actually, they distrusted him. They thought he was some sort of plant, you know, inside the prison. They're like, people don't come here for misdemeanors. We're, you know, this is what we do for a living. We're pros. We go to prison. You know, we commit crimes right. and go to prison for a living. They, you're not supposed to be here. He goes, well, you are if you're a J6 defendant. So, mentally, how are you? I have my moments. Um, I'm okay. I, you know, I've had I've had over two years to prepare for this. I've game planned it all out in my head. Um, I'm not going to sleep tonight. I'm not even going to try. Uh, it's, it it is my way anyway, and so I'm just going to you know prepare, pray, and uh, and then I'm going to put on my suit and tie. Good for you. And walk in with my head up. Good for you. Good for you. Um, more in just a minute with Steve Baker. He's an investigative journalist, a Blaze Media correspondent. Uh, he has been, he's the guy who worked with Congress to expose the video that was being held back. Um, and for this, he is being arrested and arraigned tomorrow in what city? Uh, here in Dallas. Here in Dallas. Will it happen? Will the trial happen here in Texas? No. Uh, <laughs> we will certainly be filing a motion for change of venue out of D.C., but none of those have been granted yet on J6 Jeez. cases. Because they know they can't win right. anyplace else. Na, 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 na.